This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. We've all heard of circadian rhythms, those biological processes that give us jet lag and make us night owls or early birds. But few of us know just how profoundly these diurnal patterns affect our overall health. Bad habits like skipping meals, squeezing in workouts when it's convenient, working late into the night to maximize productivity, and then trying to catch up on sleep during the weekend disrupt our natural cycles. A growing body of research on chronobiology reveals just how sensitive the human body is to these rhythms all the way down to the genetic level. Our clock genes control more than we realize, and small changes can make the difference between battling our bodies and effortlessly managing weight, sleep, stress, inflammation, and a lot more. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with an expert in circadian rhythms who blends Ayurvedic wisdom and cutting-edge science, and he's got some fantastic information about what we need to do to lose weight, to sleep better, to exercise stronger, reduce stress, and optimize our routines. And at the center of it all is a need to change our schedule, because that will lead us to, as the title of his book goes, Change Our Lives. And it all starts when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this. From the MrDad.com radio network. Excuse me, do you know how to get to Maine and Maple? Do you have these in a seven and a half? How's that cooked? Can I get that shipped overnight? Is there a direct flight? How long does the warranty last? What's your soup of the day? How do you change the ringtone? Does it come in blue? Does this bus stop at Elm Street? We ask questions everywhere in life. Is it raining out? Uh, what time's the meeting? How much does this cost? Does it have four-wheel drive? Have we met before? What's my account balance? Yet somehow, when we get to the doctor's office... Any questions? Um, no. We clam up. Ask questions. What is this test for? Are there any side effects? When do I get my results? Questions lead to better health care. Go to ahrq.gov for a list of 10 questions everyone should know. Questions are the answer. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Dr. Suhas Sirshagar who is the author of Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life, How to Harness the Power of Clock Genes to Lose Weight, Optimize Your Workout, and Finally Get a Good Night's Sleep. Dr. Suhas, thanks yes, for joining us. So happy to be here with you today. I'm sorry if I, I messed up your name a little bit. Uh, as as uh, someone with a name that gets mispronounced constantly, it's <laughs> I try to try to do it as much as I can. So let's you talk about uh, let's talk about clock genes. I think that's something that that people haven't really heard about. I mean, everybody's heard of of circadian rhythms, and we know about jet lag, and we know, uh, you know if you don't get enough sleep, the kinds of things that happen to us. But talk about uh, what you're calling clock genes and how they differ. Well, what the clock genes are is something that 
the body at a, at a genetic level. There are, there are components of the circadian clock, and they are comparable to the cogwheels of a mechanical watch, you would rather say. And these are the genes which make up the autoregulatory feedback loop in which its activation and repression cycle takes about 24 hours for them to function. So in other words, they interact with each other in a very intricate manner, generating oscillations, which are called as gene expression. And the underlying principle of the circadian clock is, is successive uh, gene activation, like a domino-like effect, which creates a form of a cycle. And that initial activation of a gene is regulated by at least one in the sequence, and they make the autoregulatory feedback loop, which takes about 24 hours. In, in other words, we can simply understand that whether you like it or not, the body really performs and works exactly like a clock. And now we know at a genetic level that the genes are cycling and the time is kind of embedded in our genes. And there are several types of clock genes. We can call them as BMOL1. Uh, uh, we call them as clock genes, period genes. Uh, these are all different names that right. are given to these genes, but they are all carrying out numerous functions about sleep, metabolic activation, fat metabolism, yeah. um, immune function regulation. Hundreds of functions are regulated by these clock genes. And this last year's uh, Nobel Prize actually went to three American physiologists uh, who actually discovered the activity of the clock genes. Wow. And uh, this actually highlights the importance of the book that we're talking about. Yeah. Well, what I'm, I'm curious about is how or whether these genes are tied to sunlight, for example, because when we go to a different time zone, particularly if you go to something that's 12 hours different, and if you go to India from here, it's going to be something like 12 hours different. So, I mean, that's about as, as exact opposite as you could get. Um, yeah. your, your body gradually gets used to it, but is your body really getting used to it? Or, or well, are you still, are you still is, is on, yeah. Gradually is the key. You're still on, on functioning on a different clock as such. And so uh, the, the genes are kind of activated when, when, uh, when uh, and that was an old school thought where we see that you look at the sunlight and as it hits the retina, then there's a little um, uh, piece in the brain, which is called as SCN, which is suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is almost like the size of a rice grain. And that gets the signal that it is daylight. And now it tells every gene or clock in the body that it is daylight and they start functioning as if it's daylight. So that was an old school thought. But now with the clock genes, we know that uh, irrespective of these, the genes are having these 24-hour cycles. And if at all you suddenly take uh, these time zone changes, you create uh, desynchronization and circadian disruptions. So no matter uh, the sunlight, uh, when you are exposed to that, you are still having this uh, chronic backlog of circadian disruption, which is going to activate some of the unhealthy genes, which can lead mm. to a variety of different chronic diseases, including cancer. Because recently, um, the World Health Organization actually labeled the late night shift as a known carcinogen because they feel that these swing shifts is 
is one of the main reasons for reasons for desynchronization and circadian disruption. But there's a reason why we call it as graveyard shift. But wouldn't there be people who whose genes predispose them to like a graveyard shift and to function better? I mean, you know, there's morning people, there's not morning people. That's that's a pretty pretty simple thing. So you know, somebody who likes to sleep in but likes to stay up late might be perfect for a, a overnight shift. Well, I think I think that that is what we keep on telling ourselves that I am an owl or I am a lark. But this is more like an habitual response, and the same science of plot genes actually tells us that we, with uh, with trillions of cells, are exposed to day and night cycles. And these are 24-hour circadian cycles that whether we like it or not, we're exposed to. So there is no such thing as as night owl or early morning lark. Really? We all, we all, sh- we all should start the day at, at dawn and, and unwind and slow down around dusk itself. With the habit, we slowly tell ourselves that this is what I can do and this is when I would like to sleep and everything. But they have, they have gotten used to this imbalance, but that doesn't really give them license to keep on doing hmm. those things. Is it different for different ages, though? Because I know that there's become a lot of research that's coming out lately about teenagers, for example, and uh, how they would function better if they didn't have to get up so early in the morning and be in school. But most schools have early morning classes, and so the kids have to get in there. But uh, some some of the studies I've looked at anyway seem to suggest that it would be better if they could start at 9 instead of 7. Well, they should start at 7, which is the best way to start your focused schoolwork around that time. What is problematic is that many of these teenagers are not going to sleep at the proper time. So they are, they are staying up late, and that is the reason why they are feeling a little bit more dull, heavy, and groggy in the morning itself. So I think I think that we what we know from the science of chronobiology, that the most focused work, that the brain is functioning at its best, is from 8 to 12.30 in the morning. So that is the time when they have to be school uh, and doing certain things. But if they're not going to sleep at a proper time, that's where the imbalance sets in. And for their focus, cognition, memory, retention, recall, getting enough sleep before they go to school is, is even more important. And I think that's where the research is talking about, that, yes, there are subtle changes when you are, when you are a baby to a kid. Um, your, your sleeping needs uh, do, do get a little bit less. But that doesn't mean that at teenagers you can perform with five or six hours of sleep. You need right. a little bit more than that. Right. Well, is there a difference though between every between different people's clock genes, or are we all built the same way? I think we are all built the same way in terms of how the clock genes perform. But as I said, and we are looking at even even organisms uh, who are only single-celled organisms. And even unicellular organisms, all the species do respond to this. And and we are living on planet Earth, and our Earth is uh, is stumbling on its own axis and swirling at a dizzying speed around Sun. So whether we like it or not, the seasons are created. Whether we like it or not, the day and night are created, and every species is going to be affected with it. Huh. I mean, it's it's. Interesting, and I, I, I want to say that it's in some ways slightly depressing to, to hear about this, that, that we have, it sounds like we have less control over our lives than, the, uh, than I think a lot of people would have hoped. 
Well, and I think I think we there is there is always something that we talk about that um, your body is primed to do and carry out its activity, but that doesn't mean that we should have license to eat whenever we want, sleep whenever we want, have sex whenever we want. There are there are certain things that the body is in sync with uh, weather changes and things like that, which which we are responding to. And the seasonal changes is a great example. The age-related changes is a great example. Mm-hmm. So you have to sync your activities with what is what is happening around around outside your window, actually. Talking with Dr. Suhas Shirsagar, who is the author of Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life, How to Harness the Power of Clock Genes to Lose Weight, Optimize Your Workout, and Finally Get a Good Night's Sleep. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to keep talking to Dr. Suhas about... Uh, some of the the things that are determined by our clock genes and how we can understand them and change some things in our lives to be happier and have longer, healthier lives. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I liked things to always be the same. Anything new or different would scare and upset me. I was very sensitive to lights and sounds. It was almost like I had bigger eyes and ears than everyone else. So I built secret hiding places where nothing could get in. I didn't like looking people in the eye. It made me feel uncomfortable. I'd throw big tantrums over little things like when my socks didn't match. Sometimes I'd do the same things over and over. Until one day, I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. You can see signs of autism in children as young as 18 months. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. We want to hire you. You're you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. And if you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Suhas Shir Sagar, who is the author of Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life, How to Harness the Power of Clock Genes to Lose Weight, Optimize Your Workout, and Finally Get a Good Night's Sleep. Let's talk about the eating and losing weight part of things. How is it that people can understand or take advantage of, of a new understanding of their clock genes to affect their weight? Well, I think the latest research shows that it's not what you eat, but when you eat is very important. It's not how much sleep you get, but when you sleep is even more important. It's not what kind of exercise you do, but when you exercise is equally important. Going back to eating habits, one of the things that uh, when I was researching regarding the about the book, what I noticed was 
um, the, scientific, the scientific validation is, is telling us that eat late to gain some weight and sleep late to gain some weight. And 70% of the country is doing both. When you're eating late and sleeping late and in the night, very close to bedtime, when you are eating the biggest calorie meal in the evening, and then when you sleep, and you sleep, your heart rate, pulse rate, respiratory rate, metabolic rate, everything slows down. And the food stays there without being uh, getting digested. And then you wake up feeling dull, heavy, groggy, toxic, and tired with all that indigested food. And someone told you that breakfast is the most important meal, and then you put <laughs> another truckload of food on top of that. And you walk around feeling very tired all day long with unwanted amounts of caffeine, which even disrupts the whole circadian uh, rhythms further. So I see so many patients every day in my practice who are having this. And one of the simplest change that I did was move their evening meal to the lightest meal of the day and made them eat their meal by 7 p.m. and not to eat anything after 7 p.m. and move their bedtime by about 10, 10.30 and everything started shifting immediately. Wait, who were who are you giving these changes to? Yeah. Who who are you suggesting yeah, these changes all, all to? All my patients. Oh, okay. All my okay. patients who were, who were complaining, feeling tired, gaining weight more easily, no matter how much they exercise, they were they were not able to lose weight and they were feeling a little bit more tired, not able to focus, all those things. And even <clears throat> when you look at some of the new research that is coming out, a simple way to trigger obesity in laboratory mice is to wake them up and feed them. Uh, during their sleep cycle, the same amount of calories you feed them during the day, but you feed them at a different time and maybe expose them to lights uh, several times. You just turn on the lights in the night when they're sleeping and they all gain uh, massive amount of weight compared to other mice who are given the same amount of calories at a different time. And we all know that jet lag symptoms go far beyond uh, sleep disruption, constipation, mental fog. So eating late I think it's 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 a huge big problem itself, and I think I think one of the one of the challenges that happens with with uh, eating at an irregular time. One of one of the things that I discuss in the book itself that uh, um, you need to really eat at the right time. If if at all you're talking about having most of your calories between sunrise and sunset, when the sunrise is happening in the morning. It's, it is it is a tender sunlight, so you should have a lighter breakfast. It should be warm, and it should be smaller portions of food that you should be eating, uh, ideally around 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. And then when sun is prominent in the middle of the day, that's when your biggest calorie meal should happen. Because after that meal, you're still active, running around, catching up, and doing work, and things like that. So you are able to burn and digest most of that food without any problem. And when sun and sunlight is fading in the evening, when the sun is setting, that's when the meal should be light and easily digestible. Uh, soup or super or supper, as we call it, it is to be light. And you should have at least three hours after you eat to, to digest that food. So if you eat by 7, by 10 o'clock, that food is completely digested and there's nothing left in the belly for you to work on while you're sleeping. And then hmm. you easily wake up without even alarm clock with food being completely digested and will have enough juice left in your body to do some morning workout at that time. Well, let's talk about the workouts, actually, because you, you talk about in the book that there's a right time to exercise and that also there's a right type of exercise for people. And I'm curious about the, the time, and I, I think, I mean, I, I work out 
at all different kinds of times. It tends to be the afternoon, but there sometimes it's as late as nine at night and sometimes as early as six in the morning. Uh, am I hurting myself by doing that? Well, I think yes. If you're if you're not if you're not working out at the right time, and I see quite a few patients actually that that they they come come back after after the whole day's work and uh, eight eight thirty in the evening they take their gym bag and go to the workout and they come back completely supercharged and energized and then they're hungry and then they're eating and they're not sleeping early because they're all uh, they have completely woken up themselves. So I think I think we we know that it has to be done in the morning time because it sheds the heaviness after all the seven eight nine hours of sleep. Uh, when you do the exercise in the morning, you actually gain energy and you lose uh, the heaviness and dullness, and you walk into office completely awake and bright-eyed, uh, without need of any caffeine as such. And the research tells us that your muscles have circadian rhythm, which controls the exercise response. So your muscles' ability to use oxygen for energy and adapt to the demands of exercise is more efficient during the day itself. So I think if you do the exercise in the morning or first thing in the morning, that is that is even more important itself. And the second thing is that from a chronobiological perspective, we know around four, five, six in the in the evening, that's also a good time to do some workout because because your focus hand-eye coordination is also at its peak. But that has to be before dinner. So you should be done exercising before 7 p.m. and you should have your dinner around that time. So either in the morning or later in the evening, those are the good times. But what I discussed in the book was if you do the morning rigorous workout, it actually sets the tone for the whole day itself. Mm-hmm. No. And, 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 and one thing which I want to highlight is that uh, uh, from a chronobiological perspective, morning 7 to 9 is is an interesting time. People die around that time, which is the, for all causes of mortality, people dying around that time is, is at its peak. And the reason is the, the blood pressure at its peak, the cortisol is at its peak. So when you wake up in the morning, if you're doing the exercise, even that is a time where you feel depressed also in the morning. So many times uh, that morning exercise brushes all of these imbalances aside and prepares you for a rigorous day ahead of you. So that is a very important lifestyle change that you can make, which uh, which has proven really, really beneficial to so many people who I put on this program before I wrote the book. Yeah. You can feel the difference. Well, what are the downsides for people not doing the things that you're talking about, for just continuing to push themselves and not get enough sleep and probably not well, get enough I mean, exercise? I think the life itself has gotten so busy that everybody's work schedule is is replacing uh, their their time to pay attention to themselves. Emails, text, voice messages, everything means uh, uh, they used to show up for work from nine to five at some point, but now the work boundaries have become completely invisible. You're on call all the time. People start their day looking at their cell phones first thing in the morning, end their day looking at the cell phones, and so. Slowly, what it's creating what we call it as time poverty, and time poverty is is problem partly of perception and partly of distribution because everybody's feeling pinched with the time, and they're feeling the pinch of time mostly for themselves, for them to to have a good time or to exercise or to cook for themselves or to go and do some 
uh, vigorous workout at the right time of the day. So they they are not using their time wisely to do something good for themselves. And once the hours are financially quantified, wasting saving or using time always relates to profit. So I think I think we are all becoming stingy with our time to maximize money, and uh, and health is the first first casualty of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you still see patients? I do. I do see patients <clears throat> Monday to Friday, and I really put many of these theories that I talk about uh, in, in, in recommendations and suggestions. And as, as their tempo is slowed down, as they're prioritizing certain things, as they're paying attention to their personal health and well-being a little bit more, um, they're sitting down to eat and things like that, it, it slowly makes huge changes, and it doesn't mm. cost anything. <laughs> Just doing the right things at the right time. Yeah. yeah. All right. The book is called Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life, and the author is Dr. Suhas Shirsagar. And the subtitle of the book, by the way, is How to Harness the Power of Clock Genes to Lose Weight, Optimize Your Workout, and Finally Get a Good Night's Sleep. Dr. Suhas, thank you so much. Dear Mom and Dad, one thing I've learned in the Army is that when you're lucky enough to get a little time off, you should put it to good use. So I'm taking a moment to write and tell you that I'm fine and doing well. We have good days and bad days over here. We try to remember the good ones and get through the bad ones as best we can. Mostly we have each other, and that's what keeps us going. That and the pride of our commitment to getting the job done, whatever it takes. I miss you all very much and can't wait to get back to life as usual. Please tell everybody hello for me, and that I'll be home soon. And Mom, since you asked, if anyone wants to help, just tell them to contact the USO. You can't believe how much they do for us. With love, your son Michael. The USO depends on the generosity of the American people, people just like you. To find out how you can help, visit us at USO.org. The USO, until everyone comes home. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, with all the talk about the hashtag Me Too these days, I want to teach my children about the importance of standing up for themselves and what they believe in. When do you think is the right time to start, and how should I do it? Teaching children to stand up for themselves and what they believe in is very important. But although the two ideas are related, they're also very different and need to be discussed separately. Let's start with standing up for yourself. Most parents talk to their children about when and where others may touch them. We teach them that it's not okay for anyone except the doctor to touch any part of their body that's covered by a swimsuit. And we tell them that if someone touches them in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable, they should say no and get away from that person as quickly as possible. Similarly, most of us talk to our kids about standing up for themselves if they're being bullied, how to avoid situations where they may be picked on, how to respond, when and how to ask for help, and so on. You can start having standing up for yourself conversations with kids as young as three or four, but keep in mind that it's not a one-and-done talk. As the child's ability to understand the differences between right and wrong grows, you'll need to revisit the issue in an age-appropriate way from time to time. As I mentioned before, teaching children to stand up for what they believe in is very different, in my view, and shouldn't be taught until children are much older. When? Well, only when they're mature enough to understand that they need to respect the rights of other people to stand up for their own beliefs. Sadly, far too few adults have reached that level of maturity. 
To see the results, you don't need to look any further than your nearest college campus. Despite the fact that the Constitution's First Amendment clearly protects free speech, even if it's unpleasant, speakers and guest lecturers, the majority of whom are expressing conservative views, by the way, are routinely shouted down or intimidated by students and faculty who don't agree with those views. A recent study by a UCLA professor found that 62% of Democrats and 39% of Republicans on campuses believe that that type of behavior is okay. In the same study, one in five college students said that it's acceptable to use violence to silence a speaker. These students believe that they have the right to stand up for what they believe in, even if it involves hurting others, but that those whose views they disagree with don't enjoy the same rights. Unfortunately, that same free speech for me but not for thee attitude is shared by many non-students as well. In a 2015 Pew Research study, 40% of millennials say that it's okay to limit offensive speech. The big question is, who gets to define what's offensive? Facebook and Twitter, for example, routinely shut down anti-Islamic social media accounts, but they rarely take action against accounts that are openly anti-Semitic or call for the destruction of the state of Israel. While it's important to encourage children to think critically and express their opinions, it's just as important to encourage them to listen attentively and respect other people's opinions, even the ones they disagree with. If their or your response to an opposing view is to try to shut it down or to attack the person expressing it, they, or you, aren't mature enough to express their views and have no right to expect anyone to listen to them. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.